Following the uh, great performance last night from Joel Embiid and the drop in the 70 on the San Antonio Spurs and a question from Bo Wolf also last night it had me thinking, could myself, Derek and Kyle and Bree drop 70 points combined in a game if we had to? I could combine with Joel Embiid for 70 points. <laughs> Nick Batum has probably the, uh, yeah. the best aftermath tweet <laughs> of any. I don't know how many guys on his team actually tweeted or posted or anything, but Nick Batum, if anybody missed it, at 3 in the morning was like, two of us combined for 75 points tonight. <laughs> That's how I would feel playing with Joel Embiid personally. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm confident that we could combine for somewhere around 70 together. Derek Botner, Kyle Newbeck, Devon Givens, Bree producing. We're with you here on this Tuesday following again a historic performance by the big fella. Just continuing to add to a fantastic season that he's having. We'll break it all down with you. Get Derek's thoughts since he was off. Yes, Derek, Derek happy birthday. We shouted you. you out, of course, on the show. But happy birthday to you. Hope it was a great day and uh, an interesting day to take off, as you yeah. tweeted. And, but we would definitely want to get <laughs> we your thoughts. We tried to revoke his access to the building <laughs> after last night, but unsuccessful Yes, so because far. Rich was here and he... He dropped 70. So, uh, <laughs> of course, we'll get more thoughts on everything that happened from in the arena with Kyle. We'll talk about another trade, another name off the board, maybe for the Sixers. That's now gone. We'll get into it all here. But, Derek, uh, I guess we'll start off with you, man. 70 points last night, phenomenal shooting, 18 rebounds as well. There was a lot that went into it that we all talked about last night, but we got to get your thoughts, man. Yeah, I mean, look, it is – I always remember back before he played – and it was coming into the, the, the season his, where he made his debut. And I remember talking, Brett Brown, who fittingly was in attendance last night, talking about how he is going to be the centerpiece of our offense. And I just remember thinking at that point how ludicrous that sounded. This was a guy who averaged 11 points per game at Kansas. We all saw the potential, but 11 points per game at Kansas and took two years off to come into an NBA game and be the focal point of a team offensively, like he was a, I thought he was the best pass prospect in draft because of his defensive potential, because of his offensive upside. But you thought it would take years and years, a decade, for him to really put it all together. And he came out and was averaged 20 points per game right from the jump in the NBA and has only grown and grown and grown. And for him to acclimate himself to the point, it really was last night. Because last night was interesting because, you know, he started off against Wemby, got him in foul trouble, had to shoot over a guy for one of the few times in his career, did that successfully, and then just bullied everyone else inside uh, on the offensive glass, around the rim. You saw the passing come out, and I thought that, you know, he had some obviously, dimes in that yeah, game. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you, can't, you can't say the passing was overshadowed because, of course, it was. He scored 70 points in the NBA game. But he had some real nice passes, including ones that weren't converted. He was controlling the game. To watch him put it all together, and look, it's the Spurs in the middle of January. I, that's the only time I'm going to say that because, quite frankly, I'm sick of pointing out that it wasn't the playoffs. For him to put all of that together from where he started that early in his career, it is just breath breathtaking to watch. He really has grown and developed more than almost anybody in the world has over the course of the last 14 years. Like, I've never seen a career tra trajectory like this, um, and it just surprises me every time. That being said, if you look at the last two years, he has taken monster jumps in each of the last two. He is so much better. It shouldn't better. be possible. It should not be possible at 29. He is so much better now than he was last year when he won the MVP that it is once again staggering. His efficiency is up. Every advanced metric is up. His scoring numbers are historic. Uh, it is just truly breathtaking to watch the continued development when you thought he was maybe going to plateau. Like, we've been talking about him, like, oh, how much more of his prime can... Are we even in his freaking prime? Like, are we at top stage, I think it's Joel safe to say, yeah. It should be, but I would have said last year he had no he had no real major areas of improvement. It is, I mean, really just... It's hard to put in the words. It really is. I know it's our job to put it in the words, written and also here on this show. Um, but the continued development he has made after, you know, like I said, two runner-up MVPs, then two massive jumps consecutively year over year. It's, uh, I mean, he's, we were talking about it before the show. He is the clear runaway MVP. As long as he plays those 65 games, it is his, bar none. And to your point about, you brought up Brett Brown and things that he said. So J.J. Redick resurfaced this anecdote recently, but it's something that he told us years ago about when he came to Philadelphia. So for those who don't know, J.J. came to the Sixers practice facility for his free agency meeting. He's making his decision, whittling his list down. 
And Joel Embiid is at the facility as JJ gets there. And JJ meets him, greets him, whatever. And then he's walking with Brett Brown toward his meeting where he's ultimately going to make his determination. And, and Brett Brown, allegedly, I'm not in the building, but this is JJ and Brett have recalled this. JJ says Brett points at Joel down on the floor and he goes, do you see that guy right there? I, I coached Tim Duncan. I worked with Tim Duncan. That is Tim Duncan. And to have that you know, strength of conviction when at that point Joel's body of work is minimal. He's got more years on the shelf than he yeah. does of experience at the NBA level. And as Joel would tell you even now, back then he was focused more on I want to be defensive player of the year. Like the idea that he would ever even get enough shot attempts to challenge for scoring titles, let alone become a perennial MVP candidate was foreign to him coming out of school. Like Bill Self was like, you're going to make a lot of money when you make the jump because you're an awesome defender, rebounder. He thought he had no red these, shirt. That's, <laughs> Joel almost quit basketball. Because he at, had dunked on. Because Tariq Black <laughs> dunked on him in a practice. And Bill Self was like, nah, bro, you got a lot of future earnings ahead of you. And there was one thing that jumped out at me re-watching and collecting all the quotes last night. If you go back and look at the clip, when Joel scores 70 points, it's like the moment to just sit there and take it in. And if he had s sat there and been in like disbelief of what happened, nobody would have given a shit if Joel just kind of stood there and let the game pass him by. The instant that he scored that layup over Kelton Johnson for 70, first thing he does is he runs down the floor and he's yelling and he's pointing and he's dictating, you got to cover for me there and take this match up so I can get back on defense. And it's perhaps the greatest snapshot that you could get. You know, there's been all these disingenuous conversations about this guy's a stat pattern. He's about the wrong things. He's skipping these games. In the greatest individual, at least scoring performance that he's had in his career, as he is pushing into territory that only eight other guys have ever been at in a professional basketball game, his number one concern after points 69 and 70 is make sure that you are back on defense and covering for me. That is how this guy went from to Joel or Brett's point, Derek's point, JJ's point, how he went from a guy who missed two entire seasons and didn't know if he was ever going to make it to a guy who is now already one of the greatest basketball players ever and is one title, one dominant playoff runaway from being an inner circle, all-time great Hall of Famer. And the, the thing about the one title runaway is I, I, some people have already accepted that they can just have the Eastern Conference Finals run, and that will be satisfactory because of the fact of how hard it is to get to the NBA Finals, how much they have let some opportunities pass in the last couple of seasons of not getting there where Eastern Conference Finals is acceptable. But to your point, and we were talking last night while watching the game, Rich and I, we were sitting on the couch and watching it, and we were discussing the Nolan's Noels with Brett Brown standing in the middle of the paint, one hand shooting, form shooting, trying to figure that stuff out developing these other players, the undrafted oh, players. Oh, shit. The Bucs fired Adrian Griffin. Not surprised. <laughs> Honestly. Sorry, I'm not trying no, to no, mess no. up you, but that's, no. that's, that's crazy. That's huge. That's crazy. Go, let's go back to Terry Stotts. You, as soon as that happened, you talk to people. Where there's smoke, we talk there's to fire. People, and Terry Stotts, who is a recent, at least... Whatever you want to say about the guy, he's respected. Yes. And he said on the eve or a couple of days before things got going, I'm good. I'm out of here. Yeah. This is not it. And not surprised. It shouldn't have happened in the first place, to be perfectly honest with you. And I don't know who should have been the coach, but it should not have been him. All right. Let's, we'll circle back we'll on circle that back later. To that. Let's, but, I don't want to mess up your So flow we were either. talking about, again, the, the form shooting and going back to everything that Brett Brown was doing in game one against the Oklahoma City Thunder. The guy does the back to the basket at the free throw line, shimmy shake, and fades, and he's going nuts at that point uh, of making that shot. And right there, again, you could just see that there was something there. Did I expect it to get here? 
No, I did not, to be perfectly honest with you. I did not. I remember talking to Derek pre-draft, and we were, I don't, I, it was either at, at PCOM or maybe, it, maybe somewhere else, and you and I were talking, and I was talking to you about what do you think this guy could be, and it, that's where it just went from there, that type of conversation of, I think he has a chance to be really good, number one pick, and of course everything happens, but then you get to where we are right now and watch this. You say he's not supposed to be, I, I always say it, even with the simple Euro step, I'm like, that guy is not supposed to be doing no, that. No, he's 7'2", he, 290 pounds. Exactly. Yeah. And, and think of how many people early in Joao's career looked at that guy and said, I hate that he's taking threes. I hate that he's taking jumpers. Put your ass on the block and post people up. And look, Derek was talking with us before the show and smartly pointed out, like, the best part to me about that game last night is that – Joel gave you everything. Yes, there was the mid-range stuff. Yes, there were the free throws. There's also just Joel throwing guys around and looking like Shaquille O'Neal playing in 2024. Like there was the, that one play, the one that stands out, first minute of the second half. He posts Wemby up, and I give Wemby credit. He easily could have just flopped and sold the contact and said, I'm just going to try to draw the foul and whatever. He tried to stand chest to chest with Joel, and Joel hit him with a shoulder that you could see in his face was like, oh my God, oh, oh. that did not feel <laughs> right. good. And then Joe goes and dunks it right away. And it's like, look, limiting this guy to, oh, he can only be a post player. He can only be a jump shooter. He can only be this. He gives you everything. He gives you every. And now that the offense has been structured and the personnel has been rearranged in a way where he's got cutters, he's got movement, he's got Nick Nurse adding more things and introducing wrinkles and team-specific game planning on offense in a way that I don't think we saw under Doc Rivers. You're seeing him become an even better passer. Like I, I said it to our buddy Jamie out there. He very easily could have had a 70-point triple-double last night. Like, I can just off the top of my head tell you there are three shots that were wide-open threes that he created for guys that were missed. Mm -hmm. And that puts you two assists away. Can you imagine, even if it was a 60-point triple-double, can you fucking imagine how crazy that would be? Yeah. It's already crazy enough on his own. This guy, it, the, the ceiling on this guy, we think we've hit every single year to the point Derek opened the show with and he just keeps going and going and going past it it's remarkable yeah and so the the fact that to the euro step to the jump shooting having arguments where you're talking about a guy saving himself number one not taking a beating Derek on the block where we know he can score there but there's also a different type of defense that he's going to face and with the injury history that he already has how about he can make a jump shot and he's elite at it, where we laid out the percentages where he shoots, what, from 15 to 19% from, that, from the field I there. would advise you both to check your... I'm yeah, sorry. I just saw You're it. talking about the I, I just coach? Saw it. The yeah, doc, yeah. The, yeah, the doc coach. Yeah, doc yeah. Rivers emerging as a... a <laughs> I, guys, I promise we're going to get to it. I'm just like, this is breaking my... Every time Devon talks, there's a new tweet where I'm they, like... They're not trying to let me finish. The national people are not. The Bucks are not Shams trying to let Shams and Woj are hating on Devon. No, they big time. They, I was killing them last night with my work. Me it's and, really me my fault. Rich. I'm the one who keeps no, interrupting. No, it's cool because it's also, a big deal. I feel deal. like your, your Twitter notifications are like 30 seconds ahead of mine for some reason, so you're reacting I saw quick. it because I saw, I saw you go like this. <laughs> and, and I was like, you you <laughs> but uh, real fast, I'll say this, and then we'll get to our break, and well, then we'll get to the fact that we got to talk about this Milwaukee piece. I still want to bring piece. up some things about you. Oh, oh, no, yeah, we're we got to keep there. going on, We're going to get there, but no, man. <laughs> we might have to, like, intermission and <laughs> circle back to Joe. Like, however we got to do it. The fact that this guy can do the things that he does, and the, fact, and, the, and the argument for a lot of people was he needs to stop shooting outside shots because he's a big man and he should be on the low block. Again, even legendary guys like Shaquille Neil saying yes. this. Well, Shaq, you couldn't do that. You yeah. couldn't make the free throws that he made. Can we add that? That he's a 90, almost a 90% free throw Crazy. shooter uh, for, with the touch that he has? You can't take away something that a guy is good at because you want him to dominate in another way. He's dominating in that way, too. 
And when you also look at the numbers where he has the opportunity back to the basket, he has the most post touches in the league over the last couple of years. Yeah. So you don't take away something that he's also great at because you want him to be even greater at at the other thing. He's fantastic. We're going to keep talking about him, but we're getting distracted by Doc Rivers now probably going to get a job. How ironic is Nick Nurse, number one, didn't get that job in Milwaukee or Phoenix. He's well, cause, here. Because Giannis wanted Griffin. Yeah, he, yeah, he's here. And then we wow. might have Doc Rivers. You know what the great news is, Devon? If you want to be able to go down and yes. see the Doc Rivers-led yes. Bucks, the Game Time app will make sure that you can get those tickets right up to the last minute. And Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. It's the place to go for last-minute ticket deals because you don't have to plan months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Maybe the Bucks will fire another coach, and it <laughs> seems like Joe Prunty is going to be the, the, the interim, interim guy for now. That's Rich Hoffman's favorite guy in the league, Joe Prunty, by the way. That's a story for another day. With Game Time, get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. A Doc Rivers-led team, you'll get almost all those things in one single event. And the game time guarantee <laughs> means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. I think that is incredible. So snag the tickets without the stress with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code PHLY for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code PHLY for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. So, w would you say that that is a stock up on the Sixers' playoff chances? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We'll do that tomorrow. All right. Yeah. Uh, also, want to tell you about Rocket Money. We all want to make sure that you get the most out of your money, so you can maybe go to some basketball games and that you're not wasting money on unnecessary subscriptions. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't want, you can cancel it with a tap, and you never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com phly. That's rocketmoney.com phly. Rocketmoney.com phly. All right, we got to get to we, we can't the Bucks. We, we, we got to at least, like, we'll do a segment and we can circle Just back. Just one on. quick thing. Sure. So there have been four players that have averaged 35 points per game in modern NBA. Joel Embiid, James Harden, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan. That's it. Before then, you have to go back to the 60s with Barry and Wilt and all that stuff. Embiid has the best true shooting, which you kind of expect because of the, the free throws. He also has the best effective field goal percentage of all of those players. In today's modern NBA, nobody has scored at this rate. And anyone who has scored at this rate has not been nearly efficient. It's not even close. Like, if you're talking modern NBA people, like I said, the people I mentioned, James Harden, when he did it, had a 61% true shooting. Kobe Bryant had a 55%. Michael Jordan had a 60%. He is 4 to 5% more efficient in terms of true shooting than anyone else. He's not only scoring the most per minute in right now literally NBA history, uh, but he is doing it at an efficiency that nobody in the modern era has ever been able to do. To your point, Devon, I think a lot of people assumed when he went to more of a face-up game, he would get fouled less. It would cost him easy shots. Well, first of all, he's shooting 56% or whatever from mid-range. He gets fouled a lot because nobody can contest that shot, so they try to strip it from him like Al Horford does. But unlike Al Horford, they all just get their hands caught in the cookie jar. He gets the free throw line all the time. He, it's just absolutely absurd how he's able to put all of these different skill sets together into one unstoppable force. It's wild. It's wild. I think we'll circle back on Chihuahua later. That's, but I just want to be able to close this tab because I had that, that stat head pulled up, so now I can close it and move <laughs> on with my life. All right. Well, Devon, since I've interrupted you 17 times trying to get through yeah. the first segment, initial reaction to, one, the Bucks firing Griffin, two, the Doc Rivers component to all this. Well, one, even though the Bucks are 30 and 13 and sitting in the second spot in the Eastern Conference, just hearing stuff from the very beginning, especially when the Terry Stotts 
departure, deciding to leave, hearing stuff then at that time, but then even hearing things going, continuing throughout the season through these 41 games, 40, 43, pardon me, for, for the Bucks. not surprising, to be perfectly honest with you, because as good as they are and as good as they, they, uh, the record says, they still have had struggles, and you can you would hear things about stuff going on in the locker room. Where yeah. even even Giannis, who was the one who chose, as Kyle said, he stood up for Adrian Griffin to get this position over some of the more established coaches in the league. I am not surprised to hear this, and I know a lot of people might be just because again they are thirty and thirteen. Giannis, Dame, the entire conversation that goes along with it. But no, this this was bad since <laughs> since training camp. And, and that's why I am truly not surprised. The Doc Rivers piece either. Uh, also, not surprised there, too, because we talked about a bunch of how he lies, and with those lies comes more lies. So when he says, yeah, I'm just going to take some time off and I'm going to focus on uh, my family and, and doing television, this is where I am now, as soon as a job opportunity opens up, you, you get a call. And look, there are only 30 of them, so hey, and he's one of the top all-time coaches, whether you like him or not. His, his name is going to be involved. And it's the Milwaukee Bucks. It's Giannis. It's Dame. You can't not have a conversation with them. So I'm also not surprised that he would be interested in that. My thing would be some of the stuff that will then be regurgitated about how he talked about Embiid in the past of his greatness, where he'll now speak about Giannis and his greatness and how, how much better he might be. I want to see how he fixes some of his words where he, he doesn't offend maybe <laughs> Doc Rivers on the other side, I mean, Joel Embiid on the other side with the praise that he gives Giannis. So neither, neither surprising at all, neither. So uh, here is my initial thought on this one this is the ultimate like we're all trying to find the guy who did this moment right like Giannis stumping for this guy and then yeah. getting pissed that where they're at it's like buddy you could have probably had your choice of almost any coach that you wanted you're fucking Giannis in the prime of your career and this is the guy you settled on so that's number one it's like you made your bed you had to sleep in it I mean I guess credit to the Bucks ownership for saying, we're just going to eat this and we don't care. We're going to do whatever it takes to try to get a, a coach in here that is going to push us forward. I don't know how you come to the conclusion that Doc Rivers is that guy, right? Like, the thing with the Bucks right now, they're 30 and 13, so the record's great. Offense has been awesome, as expected. You add Dame to a team with Giannis. going to be very difficult to not score a lot of points. They are a bottom 10 defense. And to me, if I'm overseeing the Bucks at the ownership or, or management level, I, I don't know how you look at what Doc Rivers has done over the last however many years, certainly the last few in Philadelphia, and say, we've had problems in the playoffs from co a coach who's stubborn and doesn't adjust and say, you know who we need to bring in? Doc Rivers. He really that's is the bud. number one problem of his coaching <laughs> He's career. He's old school bud. The yes. number one problem with that. It's this like look. It's different versions of the same thing. Bud Ball, as people call it, very successful in the regular season. Generally, the Bucks have been a top ten, if not top five, on both ends of the floor team in the regular season. And when they got to the playoffs and had to go against the Eric Spolstras of the world. Their coach got pantsed and had no chance, no recourse to come back from it. So they bring in a new guy, young guy, they believed in clearly. And they get some credit for saying, we get that it's not working with this guy. He is doing stupid shit on defense. Let's switch it up. I don't know how the lesson and the takeaway is we just want another version of Budenholzer. Like, I don't, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, it seems very, very directionless. Like, they fired Bud because of the playoff collapse, the first-round collapse, and the defense wasn't good enough, or the offense wasn't good enough. They go out, and they get a offensive engine unto himself, and the defense collapses. They hire a you know, rookie head coach and then go, oh, no, we need experience. It just seems like they're constantly course-correcting for decisions that they themselves made. And, look, 
If given a training camp and an offseason, would Doc Rivers be a better regular season coach than Griffin? Probably. But your goal with this team isn't to win as many games in a regular season as you can. They've done that a lot. Your goal is to you know, get back and win another title with Giannis while you still can. Doc Rivers, over the last 15 years, 15, yeah, 15 years, has not been able to do that. He's not even really come close. And he's had some pretty clear pathways. We don't have to relitigate the Hawks series, but... Who knows? We might. We are talking about Doc Rivers. Uh, he's had some really good teams. He's coached a lot of superstars. He's coached a lot of future Hall of Famers, and he has come up short in the playoffs. And he, not just the team, but he has come up short multiple times in the playoffs with decisions he made or, dis- or changes he refused to make. It is for him to step in midway through a season, almost exactly midway through a season, and have to figure this out on the fly and adjust in ways that he hasn't been able to adjust in the past, it would be a decision. It would be a decision. Uh, let me ask you guys a question off the top of your head. Has he coached now, or if he takes over the Bucks shop, has he coached more first ballot Hall of Famers than any coach ever? Wow. Unless well, you're considering, like, Red Auerbach. But, like, someone like Phil Jackson, he just coached the same ones for a really long yes. time. Yeah. Uh, the Spurs, of course, four of those guys right there. That's I think four. you'd have to go back to Red coaching the Celtics because, like, all those that, guys that almost essentially well, the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And that's the, the six, I feel like 50s and 60s don't count in any of these. Yeah. It goes back to sort of r and Pat Riley. Yeah. yeah. With, with those guys yeah, with no, the Lakers. Pat, Pat, Pat be close. And yeah. the, uh, between the Lakers and the Knicks. Heat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, that's probably comparable, but notably, Pat Riley is slightly more successful than uh, than Doc Rivers was <laughs> as a coach, I'd say. Yeah, it is It is odd that they would look in that direction. Just because he's the biggest name available doesn't mean he's the right name available. Again, I think they're doing a lot of course correcting. Like, we went for the inexperienced guy that Giannis won. Well, let's bring in the experienced guy that commands respect, I guess. I don't know. I, I, don't, I know. don't know. But for them to – for Terry Stotts to leave the way he did – they, they had to have some internal flag. Yeah, they huge had to have flag. some internal conversations oh, there sure. where but but what was going to change for them to continue to go on with the direction that they were going to go just because they hired the guy and he said, "Okay, I'll be better." Or Giannis say, "No, I everything will be good." Yeah, okay, your record is going to be good, but the vibes are bad. The coaching decisions are bad. Getting blown out the way that they got blown out the other things like that. I mean, this is, this is a team giving up like 130 plus points to the Detroit Pistons without Cade Cunningham. Yeah, right and now. Back that's back, the level their defense games, is like, in. Like a couple of games away from each other, or something like that. Yeah, it's it, it's insane. It, it really is. But you, as you said, may, you give credit a little bit maybe to the ownership for making the decision. Just saying, like this isn't the guy. Yeah, but you needed to recognize that. In the beginning, after the assistant coach left, if anything, you say, all right, well, what's the problem? Try to figure out all that. And if you have to let him go, you gut him right away instead of the assistant coach. So there is no problem because you you get rid of it all in the beginning, and then you go along with your season and see what happens. You may not have the training camp, but if it was Stotts, let's say, for an example, at least Stotts was there to to continue to take it on and, and do whatever needed to be done. But... Yeah, I mean, the guy wasn't good. Just bottom line, he wasn't good at all. Yeah, I just, and somebody, I'm trying to keep track of all the reporting that's coming in. And this isn't reporting, but it's speculation from somebody. It's like, did the Bucks do this because they were trying to beat the Lakers to doing it so they could hire Doc first? And what a sad thought that would be. Like, we have to fire somebody so that we can hire Doc after... Darvin Several Hale. consecutive high-profile failures with inner circle Hall of Famers no. as his best players. Like, man, what a sad state of affairs. How much has changed because of Milwaukee getting embarrassed in the first round last year? Like, if they just go on a normal, like, second round or even conference finals run. And like, just, like, lose. Yeah. yeah. It's wild. It's wild. And look. And, and Corey bringing up a, a point in a chat that, how much can you criticize the Bucks when they have a championship and the Sixers have gotten out of the second round? Well, you can still criticize their moves. And honestly, like... And I don't play for either team, so I can criticize yeah. whoever the hell well, I and want. The championship <laughs> we do criticize the Sixers, in part because Doc Rivers is a reason that they haven't gotten out of the second round. Those two conversations... And the championship in. was three years ago, so it's not now. Well, and, but also, just because they, they drafted Giannis and built a good team around him doesn't mean that all their coaching decisions are going to be right. Case in point, Adrian Griffin, who they fired after half of a season. So, like, yeah, we're going to have opinions on their next coaching hire. It's just their, their decision-making over the last 
eight months has been suspect. And that includes the Drew Holiday deal. Because, look, as great as we know Dame to be, Drew Holiday, because of the defense that we're talking about, they still found ways to get away with a lot of different things because of how good defensively they were. One of the other questions that they had was, could Chris Middleton come back and be a a semblance of himself? And he has at least looked better this season. So imagine if you still had Drew Holiday with the type of things that Drew Holiday does to help this team out. And then you don't have to make the move and sending some core pieces that you had, like Grayson Allen and others. I'm not standing here standing up for Grayson Allen, but... Before the collapse in the playoffs, the team was pretty darn good with this, the, the depth that they had overall, and that's one of the issues that they have. Mm-hmm. They don't have depth. Javon Carter then goes to Chicago. Grayson Allen, again, we talked about that. And a few others that are, were involved in the deal in general, the team is totally different, and that is a, that's a, at least a move for me. And I love Damian Lillard coming from Portland, but the Bucks had some good stuff going on there with Drew Holiday, Middleton, and Giannis, as long as Middleton was going to be healthy. And look what Boston is doing with Drew Holiday right now. And look, I, I, I thought they should have traded Drew for, for Dame. Like, I was behind that trade at the time. Um, but I think pairing that very obvious defensive weakness and exploitability with a rookie head coach was questionable. And it's been questionable since. All right. So I'm going to really put myself on an island here and do the devil's advocate portion of the potential there you oh, go you there you go me? bring the bell i'm getting dinged yeah Jeez. we gotta get there you go. <laughs> i don't even know yourself, what i'm gonna say put yourself on the island oh there. let's my, go oh my god <laughs> i'm getting dinged i would say this if if they do hire doc the difference immediately will be they will play a coherent defensive yeah. strategy yeah. like i'm not saying that doc makes them a top five defense in the league or anything but Doc is not going to ask guys who are suited to play drop coverage to blitz and hedge as much as the Bucks have in pick and roll coverage, for example. So the one thing that I will always give Doc credit for, generally the plan A, the first thing that he does, is sensible and makes sense for yep. the personnel that he has. His issues are not like this to me, this does not materially impact whether the Sixers do or do not beat out Milwaukee for a top-two seed, potentially. Where it makes a difference, and I was confident against Adrian Griffin and the Bucks in a playoff series. Obviously, the Bucks probably felt the same way if they're firing him in the middle of the season. But this certainly doesn't change the postseason outlook for me. Like, Doc against Nick Nurse is a straight-up mismatch. And Doc will come in with a solid plan, I have a lot more confidence that Nick, with this personnel and this group, would be able to just coach circles around him in, in a series that matters. And really, if you're now, the, if if you look at the whole Eastern Conference playoff picture, I would say the only matchup where the Sixers don't have a clear advantage in the coaching department, or at least like a an advantage period, is against Miami. Miami. Yeah. I think you could argue Nurse is the best coach in the East right now outside of Spolstra. And that's not something we've been able to say here lately. So you add on to that, that the Sixers have that with the guy who is by far the MVP front runner right now, with Tyrese Maxey ascending, with potential additions coming, with role players clicking and all their roles. I, I, I just think that they are in a great spot right now. And any, any turmoil, any chaos elsewhere is a huge positive for them. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Yeah, look, I, I right from the jump, I said if you gave Doc a training camp and offseason, they would be a better regular season team. I don't think there's any denying that. He will bring sanity to that, like you said, to that defense. And by the way, he will then be sure to remind everyone that he has brought sanity to that defense and that locker room. He likes talking up his impact on culture. It's one of Doc's favorite things to do. But in the playoffs, yes, 
you would certainly have confidence in that coaching matchup and quite frankly in the flexibility of their defensive personnel as well yeah uh, that would be I mean we, we saw the Hawks series where Atlanta just went back and back and back to things that were working and, and attacked um, Curry and attacked everyone and I think the Sixers could do that to them as well well should be f- also I just want to mention like it is nice having a superstar who has the kind of like Joel Embiid could get his version of Adrian Griffin he hasn't gone out of his way to do that. He hasn't gone out of his way to get coaches fired, to get his buddies hired. Uh, that is one thing. I think Joel realized there's a little bit of a responsibility, and if that's not his area of expertise, just because he has that power, he hasn't necessarily exercised exercise that power as fully as he could, whereas Giannis has, and I think that has some uh, pretty big impacts. Uh, that doesn't just apply to the coach either, like yeah. coaching decisions. Yep. I think you know there's been stuff out there, right, where – Bradley Beal is a Drew Hanlon guy, mm-hmm. and there was a p- time period where I think Joel preferred Beal to other options and then had conversations with coaching staff, front office, who were like, this is why that might not be the best guy to go after. To his credit, Joel's receptive to that. Yep. As they're going through potential James Harden trades and things like that, it's like, Joel, this is what we're doing, and this is the plan, and they're open, and they're as honest as they can be with Joel. And Joel, to his credit, this, you know, I'll sit here, I'll wait and see, I'll do my job, and we'll see how it looks. And, you know, certainly that vision has been validated based on what we've seen so far. So I, I 100% agree, Derek, that it's that separates him from a, a good deal of other stars around the league who throw their weight around quite a bit more than he does. It's nice to see some some other teams where you're talking about them around the league in the way that the Sixers were used to be discussed and how you would talk about some of the issues that they had and uh, some of the problems that Joel Embiid, coach, front office, whatever it might be, that right now it seems like they're the stable one <laughs> outside, of, outside of Boston. That's something I ever thought and, I'd be able to say. Yeah, Never. I mean, it, but, Never. but I mean, it, that's what, and you, that goes to the credit of what the head coach has done in the short time that he has been here, of course, what the front office has done, and to you guys' point about the superstar and what he has been able to do for hovering over this team but in an organization but not hovering enough where it becomes a negative and it's too much of a problem because he has his hands in too much of, of what's going on. So stability, the Sixers. Who would have thought? Don't know, but we didn't. But here we are. Also want to tell you guys about some of the merchandise that you can get, and we want to send you to phlylocker.com to uh, get those new hoodies. It's warm out today. 45 degrees, but it's warm out compared to what it has been where you can uh, throw that hoodie on and still feel very comfortable. You can get your PHLY Sixers hoodie in the royal blue with the logo on the left side of the that. chest. Still waiting also on mine, man. On I, back, this is our damn show, and I can't I know, get a blue hoodie. I know, you guys are lucky. I know. And then you got the Eagles PHLY with the logo of the helmet on the left side of the chest again, and the PHLY, the bird, the eagle on the back. Uh, of the hoodie. Don't forget about the It's a Philly Thing hoodie as well as the uh, Great Mishkov hoodie. That's a popular one as well. Go to phlylocker.com to get yours. Like, you might get it at the same time that we get ours. And then you can get the hat too because the hats are available that you've seen on this show. Us three wearing them. The golf hat, the flat brim, the dad hat, the trucker hat, all available. phlylocker.com. Go get yours. And when you get them, you got to make sure you show them to us. Let us know that you did, in fact, acquire yours. Again, if you get yours before us, let us know how they feel. They might be very comfortable. <laughs> I want to give a rare shout out to a fan of another team, Rob Sheldon. Oh who claims to be a Nuggets fan, checked in and said, just wanted to drop in and say, wow, what a game from your guy. Really hope we can see you all in the finals this year. Would be epic. Nugs and six. And the last part, let's agree to disagree on that for now. But I do think, like, I hate how toxic the discourse has gotten, specifically no. around Joel and Jokic, because both of these guys are absolutely incredible i understand that for fans it's different like you guys are going to root against Jokic. like i don't have any real reason to have animosity for Jokic. and the bigger problem honestly has been just the fan base wars like you talk to joel about nicola last night about wemby about guys like that like you can hear the reverence in his voice for like that dude's amazing like joel is a student of the game somebody who 
frankly, I wait a lot for after games because he's sitting with his feet in ice at his locker on like NBA League Pass watching some other game that's about to end because he loves the game and he respects, you know, the KDs and all the other like the greats of the game for what they do. And in a lot of cases, what he can't do and how they differ themselves from one another. So I would love to see a, a Sixers Nuggets finals because those games are when those two play over the last few years, they're like all bangers. Like yeah. those are great stylistic matchups. They're all close games. There's tactical stuff going on. Like I pray that we can get that. Like we never got, I'm not saying that they're on the same level. We never got LeBron Kobe when those guys were at their peak and everyone was just begging and begging for that to happen. But a battle of the two all-time great bigs in the finals, something we haven't really had since, what, like the 90s? The Hakeem Shaq and, Shaq and Hakeem lot, Patrick yeah. Ewing? Yeah. So I'd love to see that, and I respect the hell out of Jokic, even though I think Joel's been better this year. Yeah. I mean, look, I, 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 if I had an MVP vote the last four years, I would two Jokic, two Embiid, counting this current one. Uh, I think they're the top one to two players in the world, and I, I've never, to your point, I don't care too much about the MVP debate in terms of who actually is the best player because I, I've always been. You've got one of the two. Great. Now go build a, a championship-level team around them. I understand that fans do, uh, but I think you can support your guy without tearing down the other, and it's just been weird, especially like Sixers fans when Joel didn't have the MVP got a little hostile towards the Nuggets and Jokic, and now it seems like the Nuggets and Jokic, because they've won that title, are feeling themselves a little bit uh, and getting a little too into the and be ducking stuff because as we've mentioned one time he was out with a long-term knee injury another time he was out with covid it's just some of it's gotten silly and we don't need to get silly if you if you're a fan of a team that has one of the two best players in the world you don't need to get silly you can just appreciate your guy it's okay that that's just enjoyable enjoy too. watching greatness yeah. buddy it's not going to be here forever <laughs> enjoy it. Uh, it they are both fantastic to watch to your point on a finals matchup man the chess match between those two with the Nuggets trying to keep Jokic out of foul trouble and, and the Sixers wanting to keep Embiid on someone like Gordon so we can protect the rim and trying to make that work. It would be a blast to watch. I think we would all sign up for seven games of that right now if we could, but uh, a lot of work until we can get to that point. And we get a nice second preview, final one of the regular season on, on Saturday, so that should be a, should be a good now one. Now that's rivalry week. Not, yeah. not Wemby <laughs> not versus Embiid. Not again, quite it, ended up, it ended up working out for the oh, NBA listen, in the long run. They're probably yeah. over the moon about that being an NBA what were your TV thoughts? So, I mean, you've seen Wemby but watching He's it a little bit closely incredible. last night. Like, because it's of just, and I know right now his like top of key three-point numbers aren't great. They will be. He's too skilled. The touch is too pure. Yeah. His skill level is too high. Like he, in, in five years, he is. And if you just go back at Embiid and look at how inefficient he was, how much he turned the ball over when he first came in, there's a huge adjustment for big men in the league. We can talk about Chet and, and winning and rookie of the year and all that stuff. Wemby in five years is just going to be a monster. And watching him last night, it was, or well, this morning, because I ended up watching him in the morning, uh, watching him would just reinforce that in a big way. Well, and so I asked Popovich a different question, but I went to the arena last night thinking about asking him about, you guys know the Sixers have struggled to find guys who can throw entry passes to mm -hmm. Joel. If you watch, I don't think it was a yep. problem last night. The Spurs have struggled with like, hey, the seven foot four guy is open by the rim and nobody throws him the ball. And they don't understand that his catch radius is like <laughs> right. a foot higher than everybody else's. There's uh, like, I don't watch it with a rooting interest. I've watched some Spurs games where I'm like, what the hell is your problem? Throw the guy the ball. And I think eventually when they get a real guard to play with him, he might get an extra five to 10 yeah. points a game on just gimme backdoor cuts and lobs and things that guys are looking off him right now like I like Devin Vassell not a big Keldon Johnson guy because I've, I've seen some moments where he's got the ball there's a clear play to make to Wemby and he just goes it's Keldon Johnson time and takes some BS shot so I I had I was already obviously like most people impressed by what Wemby's done already seen it in person really drove home like this guy is is gonna be special if he stays healthy so you're saying Kelvin Johnson is like Daniel House in the moment? 
I, I, I was going give him a Kelly, little more yeah. credit than that. <laughs> <laughs> He's slightly better than, than our guy D House, who was defiant after the game. But uh, uh, yeah, man. But uh, <laughs> funny stuff. That cut down the middle, man. It was like ah, oh, Embiid's wide open, man. Hit him. <laughs> nah, it's okay. I'm going to got to the free throw line and then missed the two free throws. So just top it off right there. Uh, with that play. You guys want to get into the deal that happened a little bit earlier today? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, If you guys did not see, there was a trade in the NBA, another name that many of you have talked about in the chat. Not everyone agreed on the player. Terry Rozier traded from Charlotte to Miami for Kyle Lowry and a 2027, was it unprotected? First round pick? Lottery lottery protected. protected. Lottery protected. It becomes unprotected if it conveys in 2028. All right, so Terry Rozier off the board. He's going to Miami. That's just another name, Kyle, that many people have talked about. Just talking yourself into some names because of a few others that were already moved on from. OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam. This is a name that we have talked about. Yes. It wasn't a consensus of yes or no. It was more of what would it take? What would be the price? Where would he play? Small backcourt with Tyrese Maxey. Is he coming off the bench? When you saw the price, what were your initial thoughts? So, I mean, we have discussed them on the show, and I've said that this is a situation I think makes a lot of sense for him, right? Like Miami needed more downhill creation. He's having a very good shooting season. And has turned himself into a guy that is valuable as both an on-ball and an off-ball guy. And so for Miami, when you're turning Kyle Lowry, who is fine in a small role, but at this point just only has so much to offer, you can turn that into closer to prime age Rozier, gives you some real juice off the bench. I think that's a slam dunk trade for them. Now, does that change where they ultimately sit in the the Eastern Conference hierarchy? Probably not. But just having another high-level rotation guy and a guy who, frankly, like he's got size limitations, but I think he's a pretty good defender for when he's engaged and he's, frankly, on a a better team in, in Miami. I think he's going to be perfectly fine for them there. So he's not giving points away on that end of the floor, which... Spolstra will definitely appreciate. So love that part of it. And then the question becomes, as it applies to Philadelphia, when or if does Kyle Lowry become available on the buyout market? And Derek, you know all the, the CBA ins and outs more than I do. But from what I can tell, looking at the teams that are at the various apron levels right now, the Sixers are actually pretty uniquely situated as a contender who is able to sign Lowry on a buyout because I believe a lot of, I think it's like Denver, Phoenix, a bunch of the teams that you would say, oh, they would like another. I got the list right here if you want it. Denver, Miami, Milwaukee, Phoenix, Boston, Clippers, Golden State, they're all over the apron, can't sign a buyout guy. That is making more than the mid-level. The mid-level, which is like, what, 12-something? Yeah, Yeah. 12-point-something million. So the Sixers are one of, they might be the only potential contender that has the ability to sign him if he gets bought out. Yeah, Charlotte's posturing is if they're not going to buy him out, but that's nonsense. Well, I think the posturing was they're not going to buy him out now as they look to trade him. Yes. But what happens on February 9th if they haven't made a trade yet? And I guess just to sort of clarify, because it's a new rule in the CBA, basically there is a rule where if you're over the first apron, uh, which is a, a threshold, we don't need to get deep into that, but it's a salary level where if you're over that, you cannot sign a guy off the buyout market if their previous salary before they were bought out is over $12.4 million. So that list of teams that we mentioned are over that first apron threshold. Because of that, as of now, they would not be able to sign Kyle Lowry if he was bought out. The Sixers are about $2.7 million under that first apron threshold. All of this can change. Like if the Sixers, let's say, ship, like give someone a second round pick to take on Furkan Korkmaz's expiring salary, they clear like another $5 million in space. Some of these other teams that are currently over the apron could also do that. So there's that's not a, a definitive list. Um, but right now, the Sixers are pretty uniquely positioned in that they could pursue some of these bio guys. That could be someone like Lowry. That could be someone like maybe Gordon Hayward if he gets bought out after the trade deadline. All of these players. And I guess the overall point The Hornets here, control the title picture yeah. right now. <laughs> I guess a, a, a big point here is that in years past, you might have said, like, don't rely on the buyout market because you can never guarantee that someone will be bought out and that they would want to come to you. Well, now that you're taking contenders off the board because they have too much in team salary, you might have a higher chance of getting someone in the buyout market than you would have in the previous CBA. 
So naturally, that will go to the Pat Beverly conversation because of how well he's played and what would it, would it make a difference? Who would you prefer to have up there on the floor because of the fact that Patrick Beverly has played so well? And what does Kyle Lowry, in fact, have left at that point guard position coming off the bench, giving you some minutes? Of course, he has championship experience. But if you had to choose, what would your preference be? So here's what I would – one of the reasons I'd be – other than – I have said a couple of times, I think Lowry is mostly washed at this yeah. point as a, you know, potential rotational piece that he's not a nailed on guy. I definitely have interest just because yeah. experienced. Mm -hmm. I love the story of him coming home. I do think on an odd night, he could still randomly give you 15 to 20 if he gets hot shooting. And I think in a Joel Embiid centric world where he, Joel's posting up or operating from the elbows and it's just four out around him. I think Lowry as a catch and shoot option around him is very good on top of having just a little bit of off the dribble juice to be to close out and all that. Defensively, I can't put a lot of stock in him anymore, even though he was historically, you know, a, a very good defender at his peak. The thing I would worry about, we talk a lot about roles and buy-in and acceptance on this team. I think, to your point about Pat Bev, Devon, Pat Bev has done as well as you could possibly expect or hopes, hope for in, in his role. I think over the last two months, three months, whatever it is at this point, two and a half months, he's been great as the, the backup point guard, giving you a lot on defense as a rebounder, has some odd scoring games here and there. And him and Lowry are kind of similar personality-wise in that when they are not happy, and look, they're, they're older, they're mature, I get it. They're not exactly shy about, I think I should have this, or I think I should be getting more playing time or this role and what have you. And that is the difficulty of this because all the vibes here are good, the guys are all fitting into their roles, but if Kyle Lowry comes home and you tell him, hey, you might play tonight over Pat Bev, but until Pat Bev plays worse, we got to see if we can fit you in there. You run the risk of there could be some, some slippage in the, the vibes department. So I think first and foremost, you would have to suss that out immediately and say, how, how much does Kyle really want to be here? And how much does Kyle really want to be on this specific team knowing that I don't know that you can guarantee him a role coming here. Well, and to that would be the, the positives that you were talking about. And to that last point, how much of that is Nick Nurse and the relationship that they have from Toronto playing, getting that experience, winning that championship together? It seemed like there was re mutual respect there. Yeah. So does that play into it of if there's a buyout situation where that conversation is had and it's between the coach and his former player? Well, here's, here's what I'll say. In terms of, of um, Lowry versus Bev, I think Lowry is er, – Beverly's a much better defender at this point and yes. more willing to buy into his role, and those are both key. I do trust Lowry as a catch-and-shoot player more, and I trust him a little more as a decision-maker, um, whether that's maybe a secondary ball handling or like attacking a closeout. That being said, I do agree that his defense would be a, a significant step down, but I don't really look at it in terms of like replacing Pat Beverly. It's more just having another option if you need that size player yeah. on floor. Do you want to go with the catch-and-shoot or the guy that you trust a little more to handle the ball and make decisions, or do you want to go with the more tenacious defender? Um, you know, we're, I'd, I'd be more interested, like I said, it's not like I'm saying they should trade for Kyle Lowry. No, just wait until February 9th, see if he's bought out, then you can make a decision. It would be like replacing Furkan Korkmaz yes. in the rotation or replacing Mo Bamba. The key here is that Kyle Lowry would need to buy into being not maybe an every, even an everyday player, certainly not an everyday 20 minute per game player. Would he be willing to buy into that role or is he looking for a chance to showcase himself? That would be my biggest concern. That I think would be the biggest holdup for it. But I don't think anyone's under any illusion that he has like a ton left in the tank. It's just you might think he has more left in the tank than Furkan Korkmaz does on a contender. That's all. And to that That's point, all. Derek, there's a pretty damn good chance that if they make a trade before the deadline it's a consolidation trade right. of multiple contracts yeah. for one guy yeah. and that would naturally clear a roster spot so you're not even in the event that they bring in lowry at some point it would be because they're just getting him for the price of a, a veterans minimum for the rest of the year which at that point it's like 
there's no reason not to sign him to yeah. that sort of deal. That's a almost no lose scenario. So does that change how you approach the deadline where a backup point guard, along with Beverly, if Beverly's going to still be here, the way that he has looked, he maintains that spot. But now maybe you don't, like Derek was saying, don't have to give up an asset. You play that, you do your research and, of course, find out what's going on out there and you play the waiting game because you believe that he is going to get bought out. Therefore, you can focus on some of the other more important things at that time. And then the buyout happens maybe a week too later. Yeah, I mean, like backup point guard has never been a focus for me at the traded line. Uh, getting more shot creation and ball handling has, but that's more in like wing size players or at least guys who are, you know, 6'4, six, 6'5 six, and mm -hmm. up. Uh, so, no, his availability doesn't change me because that's never really been a priority for me. Uh, I think for Kyle, it was at moments early in the season when it looked like they didn't have enough ball handling to even get through the regular season. But I think even Kyle has acknowledged that with the way Patrick Beverly is playing, that wasn't necessarily a super high need anyway. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely uh, they need an innings eater type right. guy, but you're also not. I was never advocating for you got to give up real stuff for mm -hmm. a real guy because when you get to the playoffs, the six foot, six foot one guards are not yep. playing a lot of minutes off the bench. Those are guys that might get eight to 10, and that's on a, a night where they have it going okay. So. I think they've progressed past the point of needing that or me advocating for that. And so I think Lowry makes a little bit of sense if you just get him for free, obviously, and then great. But it's all kind of contingent on everything that happens outside of that. And look, I'll say this, too. I know I, I've, I've tweeted this and reported on it some. They just The Sixers just continue to send signals that they're not interested in any of these guys that they keep getting attached to, whether it's Levine, it was Siakam, it was, it's now DeJounte Murray. Like, you ask around, and Sixers are sending out signs like, hey, probably not. Like, not that they are completely out, but not as connected to Murray as maybe some other reporting would suggest. So, I don't know, man. They might be bluffing to everybody right now but the closer we get to this deadline i'm not so sure that it's just not small moves but certainly not star moves i think they my read on it is that they are very excited at the prospect of like the team just works there are no no big questions other than are you getting a playoff series and you don't have enough guys who can dribble and self-create and if Maxi and Joel get overrun, what happens? That's like the only real concern right now. Otherwise, like they are in lockstep. They have the best current player in the NBA. They have a great number two. They have a very good head coach. Not a whole lot of problems to fix here. And our buddy Ash Monroe says uh, since they're 26 and 6, he let us know last night with him beating on the floor. They're 22 and 3 when B scores 30 points this year. And he says Joel-centric offense wins in 2024. So there's that. He sees the future. They're going to win. <laughs> we love it, Ash. That would be great if they can win and, and stay healthy. As Derek said from the very beginning, just want to see a healthy Embiid season. Just once. To give them a chance. One healthy playoff run. Like, I, ideally, I'd love to see him get More, a healthy playoff sure. run yeah. every year. But I'll just start with one. I'll ask for one. And we'll see what happens and then take it from there. Because if he just goes on one playoff run where he is completely unguardable like he is right now, I'm not talking 70 points unguardable. I'm talking 30 to 35 per night in the playoffs. All of this nonsense BS regular season chatter just goes away. And for mm -hmm. his sake, for Sixers fans' sake, for everyone's sake, I would just love to see it. And it would probably help our numbers too. So that's a win-win-win. You know, <laughs> you know. Always got to root for the show you know, above all Got to root for myself. Right. But I would, it would just change the discourse so completely and the narrative, and it's, I'm just sick of it. That's yeah. right. Make sure you all go tell everybody, tell the friend and tell the other friend and the other friend and the other friend and all the family. Make sure they tap in and check us out. Five days a week right here on the PHLY Sixers also, podcast. hit the thumbs up button. We've got way too many people in the chat right now and not enough thumbs up. I don't wow. know what you're I appreciate you I like being it. here, but help us out a little bit. Come on. Hit the thumbs Come up. Come on. Also, I want to just, we can put a bow on this and get the heck out of here. But I want to add to uh, 
the Joel point, the Joel discourse. It really is crazy. Like, I understand what he has left to prove. But if you can't see what is in front of you right now, it really feels like, – and I'm not saying this about Sixers fans. I think Sixers fans, to their credit, who were – a lot of them are just out on Joel after last playoffs. I think most people have taken a step back and said, you know what, I'm on for the I'm, – I'm on the ride. I'd Like, this is awesome, and I'm going to enjoy it for what it is. There are a lot of people who claim to be fans of basketball, even media members. Like, media members aren't fans of teams, so to speak, but they're fans of the sport, certainly, or they, you should be doing a different job, I think. A lot of people just picking at them and picking at them and picking at them. Oh, he shot this many free throws. Oh, he did this. Oh, he missed this game. Oh, he missed this. Like, who, what are you talking about? This guy is literally having the greatest scoring season ever on a per-minute basis, and we are over halfway through an NBA season. The guy is averaging per 36 minutes over 36 points. This is unprecedented in the modern era, particularly for a guy playing a position that's been marginalized by all the rule changes and the style changes to the league. He is at, in the vanguard of the NBA. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame first ballot. A title is probably going to mean more for him individually than any single other active player right now if he's able to get one. And that shouldn't cloud people's minds and make them think about, oh, the guy scored 70 points, but why doesn't he do it in the playoffs? No, man, sometimes... A guy can score 70 points, and it's just incredible. Like, I walked out of that arena last night like, man, that's going to be something that years and years from now when I'm hopefully retired just and living it somewhere in, warm, I'm going to remember that I was there. It's this trigger warning, by the way. The same way that I think about the Kawhi shot in Toronto, like being in the building for that, that is a moment I am going to take with me forever. And I, I wish that more people... And Tyrese Maxey said it great last night. I hope that people appreciate what they're seeing right now because we don't get a whole lot of these in Philadelphia. And until this guy is done, he will give them a chance every single night and every single year that he is healthy. And I, I hope that's many more years to come. You just got to rub it into the MSX game, huh? Wow. Just got to. Mm. I worked on my birthday. It was a Celtics game, so that's the price you pay, buddy. <laughs> well, but you did also miss our show number three and four, so, you know, you know. I will say I'm almost glad I missed it because if I was sitting there in the arena having to come back to do this show, that yeah. would have been real tough to do. I'm not sure. I should really just start bringing a mic and a video camera to the arena and try to find a quiet spot so that when there's a game like that going on, I can be like, nah, I'm going to stay here. Watch this till the end. I cannot leave the Wells Fargo Center right now. But. I, I definitely would have told you to just stay. <laughs> yeah, he had 30. What did he have, 34 at halftime? 30, then again, like he's had so many games where it's like, hey, he has a huge number in the third quarter, but we know he's not going to play. Yeah. So who would have been able to say? I mean, even, he had 28 in the first half against Orlando. Yeah, <laughs> and even when he was at, like in the, you know, what was he at, like 52 or something midway through the third, he probably just thought, all right, he'd get a couple more and then sit out the fourth. That's happened so many times this year. Uh, he should probably have five or six 50-point games on the season easily, but he sits out so many fourth quarters, it's tough to predict. Amazing. Amazing. All right, we got to say goodbye to some people. Time to get up out of here, guys. Guys, thank you, as always, for being here. A little bit of an unplanned Adrian Griffin, Doc Rivers segue today. Screwed so Not us as up. much Joe talk talking, as we wanted. guys but wanted to get fired and... <laughs> Names mentioned and hired. Come on. Why'd you have to get fired, Adrian? <laughs> well, Come good, on. Because we probably would have done an emergency pod anyway. Yeah, anyway. we would have been doing one in an hour. Right. Shout out to so thank all you, my people today. Mary Overfield, who I recognize from Twitter, haven't seen in here before, I don't think. What's up, Mary? We got Ed. We got Jay of the Jungle. Prophet. Our guy, Ash. RC. What up, Ash? Money Mar. Martian Lynch. Let's see. The Hypothetical Man. There's got to be Al, the two-minute warning in here what somewhere. SB Cole, Remo, Tim Williamson. Wow, Derek Bodner. Who's that guy? Never heard of him. What up, Derek? 
Eugene Ross, Paul Gallagher, Smy Guy, Provolone John, Bootzilla, Liam Stevens. I did see Furious earlier in the chat. I'm only bringing it up because he's the only one who recognized my haircut today. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. Even if nobody too, else does. Nobody else Shanae, <laughs> you know Nico, my guy Will, Puppus from overseas. What up, Puppus? Dave, Khalil. So many of you here with us each and every day. If you have not already, hit that subscribe button and hit the bell icon so that you can get notifications each and every time that, that we go live. On the end of that we one. got props in here now. Devon's doing... This is what you come here for <laughs> each and every day, everybody. Hit the thumbs up button on the video as our great producer, Bree, and Derek have reminded you already because it makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. We'll be back with you tomorrow. 2.30. For a couple more post-game shows the rest of the week. I'll catch you all later. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.